In June 2021, we ran a global survey with the support of Accenture, FIS, DTCC, Hong Kong X, and ISSA, looking into the state of corporate actions data today. The premise of the survey was that corporate action errors are costing us about $2 million each, and that 56% of those errors are driven by data issues, specifically in terms of timeliness, quality, and coverage. So the big question coming into this research was really, is data at the heart of our corporate actions problem? Now, on the back end of a global survey that's reached out to 240 people around the world, we've now got a fantastic wealth of information and data to be able to draw on to really dig into exactly where and how corporate actions data is challenging our businesses today and what we can do about it. So the aim of this conversation is to draw on the expertise of our project partners to be able to put the statistical findings from our survey into some real life actions and insights that help to form part of your business planning around where we go from here. So it's a real pleasure to have Brains Trust here across John Lee from Accenture, George Harris from FIS, Patrick Bartel from DTCC, Alan Tren from Hong Kong X, and Steve Ridley from Broadridge representing ISSA. So thank you guys all very, very much for joining us today. Great to be here. Thank you, Bonnie. So to kick us off, I just want to share five key stats around the research that's available on the vx.io website, really to be able to set the scene and to get the reactions from the esteemed guests that we have here today around really the size of the problem and what we do about it. So in terms of top five stats, the first is that it costs more to source a corporate action than it does to process it. So 56% of the cost of a corporate action are spent sourcing an event with the minority actually being spent processing the event, which I think to many of us would seem counterintuitive and certainly something that we can dig into. But even within that, the second key statistic is that it costs more to actually get the event ready than it does to source it. So within that 56%, 25% of our costs of a corporate action are actually spent on getting the data um, sourced but a larger part, 30% are spent actually getting it ready for usage. So cleaning it, validating it, enriching it so that it's actually ready to then be processed. So the biggest chunk, if you like, of our corporate action cost is just getting the data ready. Now, what's of some concern is that the third big stat is that half of us are missing about 40% of the cost of a corporate action. So those costs of enrichment, the cost of validating the data, even the cost of risk, half of us across the industry are not really keeping a clean view of what those costs are. And so as a result, you know, many of us have a kind of slightly distorted view of what the true cost of a corporate action is. And that necessarily begs the question whether we're focusing on the right things in terms of remediation. Now, what's driving those costs? It has to be about manual data. So 46% of our event notifications are being shared by websites, faxes, and emails today across the industry. And that actually gets worse when we get to the investor leg where the the manual transmission of messaging goes up to more than uh, half at 55%. So there's an enormous amount of non-STP communication. The majority of communication in some cases is non-STP. And the fifth big stat is that that manual processing that's triggered by the manual communications, non-STP communications, is the number one driver of risk in terms of data in and data out across the corporate action lifecycle. So complex events like Dutch auctions, spin-offs, are the kind of the worst end of the scale. But the biggest consequence of all of this is basically is that you know our data issues, the manual risks that we're creating around exception handling, manual processing, are ending up as breaks in our customer SLAs and as internal audit failures. 
For me, what really stands out is, is the extent of the problem. It's bigger than I think we all expected going into this research. We often talk about ISO 1522 versus 2022 as the central axis of the problem. But it seems like, it, based on our research, we've got more fundamental problems here that need addressing. So, in terms of reactions, I'm going to jump straight to John. Cost of a corporate action, the breakdown that I ran through, how does that resonate with your experience across all the various markets that you deal with? Thanks, Marnie. I, I think the, the first epiphany on this was, you know, we, we've always been aware that this, is, uh, this was an issue. Uh, there were a lot of inefficiencies. Everyone that I've spoken to within the industry, especially here in Canada, there's absolutely no one that says that this isn't a problem. I think th through this survey, this is probably the very, very first time that we were actually able to quantify just where the source of the problem is. And so a lot of times people will acknowledge that it's an issue, but then they'll just go back and deal with it through the manual reconciliation, the manual activities that they have today, because they're not really aware of how to actually tackle the problem. And one of the things that I that I realized, uh, you know, early on, and, and one of the reasons why we wanted to do this survey was, there are no quantifiable metrics that are out there that actually shows, you know, what is the true cost of a corporate action and where are the costs coming from. And so, you know, we had some ideas, we had some suspicions, but we never had that holistic view. And you know, the first thing that I'll say is when when I look at fifty six percent, you know, as as part part of that coming from data sourcing, that that did surprise me. I didn't expect it to be that large. And when I look at some of the things around the the manual nature and how the data is being actually readied, scrubbed, insurance reliability, and then all of the back and forth reconciliation, it felt like it was probably the tip of the iceberg on some of the pain points that we saw, but the underpinning problem or the root of the problem wasn't fully visible to us and until now, until we we're actually being able to see it. George, what's what's your reaction, particularly from a data perspective? This is this is your 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 zone. Was it as bad as you expected? No, it's interesting. I was a bit torn when when looking at the headline value of 56%, but then interpreting each of the, you know, the data sourcing, the data enrichment, cleansing, then the, the data interpretation. I, I think when when looking at that, certainly screamed out at me that a lot of this activity is not only market-led or market-driven, but also client-driven, okay? So remembering that the overall, the beneficial owner at the end of the chain probably has its own requirements of its custodian or of its uh, fund manager, be that a discretionary or advisory mandate. So Plus, obviously, what's going in the market, where there is obviously post-COVID, likely to be an increase of capital raising events. Now, those types of events have their own nuances, the number of options, whether or not they're actually being published in English, okay, that's another thing. And also, some of the aspects of those, uh, those events, particularly around taxation. So there's always this interesting rub between those that are generating alpha on behalf of clients versus the issuer community and how they're publishing their information in a way that is easily understood 
by the industry. Unfortunately, it's not always easily understood. And, and you're quite right, Barney, going back to the use of 15022 and 20022, there is a drive to squeeze these items into very ni- nice and tight little boxes just to meet the fill definition associated with a 15022 or 20022 message. So I, I think looking at this, and again, from the data sourcing all the way through data interpretation, each of them come with a significant and varying risk profile. And what, uh, and, and John mentioned it a little bit earlier, what this does give is, is at least a starting point for, for some further evidential discussion at the market level or, or detail level as to what uh, those items are implicitly uh, stated in the in the four categories that we have on the uh, survey associated with data sourcing. So in summary, it's the start of a conversation, not the end of the conversation, Barney. Steve, from, from an ISSA perspective, you know, the massive volume of, of manual data that's going back and forth, how do you break that down? And, and is the problem really that bad? Well, Barney, I think um, it was certainly those numbers were, were a bit of a surprise to me because it's clearly showing that that less that that you know the procurement of the data itself is less than you know half of what that cost is, and at least for my myself, I would have expected that is where the majority of, of the cost to be. But then, as everyone is saying, of course, when you layer that in with the FTEs, you know, to process around the data enrichment, the interpretation, you're then doubling that that cost again. You know, we know very well these challenges because, you know, we hear from our clients that, that this, you know, the data science, if you don't mind me calling it, is an area they want continued help with. You know, they're asked to us is, you know, can you help us push the cost of the data operation down? You know, whether that's by consultation, providing them with technology, uh, maybe a mixture of both. But the nuances of data, I guess, you know, for example, whether it's different market practices, different standards, you know, how events are getting provided by the custodians, how they're getting framed, that there's so much variability, so much possibility. And, and it's not that data is necessarily right or wrong. It's just maybe different. So it's kind of not surprising that we that we hear those messages. And then, you know, arguably, that's why we're kind of seeing these numbers about what the cost of the FTE and the operation is. Alan, from, from your perspective in Hong Kong, as you're driving, you've obviously been driving a great deal of change in, uh, around the corporate action space. How do you find, when you're speaking with people, the awareness of these, these challenges? So, you know, I was mentioning the fact that many of these kind of costs of enrichment and everything are hidden costs to a degree. Are we aware of, of these issues, particularly from an Asia perspective, you know, where you've got many specificities? You know, are we aware of the problem to the right level of granularity, do you think? Yeah, I think that, that the problem with the, I guess, data sourcing perspective and the processing of it is definitely something that we, but definitely in the back of our mind, right, is something we're aware. But I don't think we understand how big the issue is and how big the accounts for in terms of our kind of cost operations for as a servicing in general. When I'm looking at the analysis output, uh, when it says over 50%, just purely on data sourcing, that part is definitely is a surprise to us. I think we always believe that you no know, data sourcing is a challenge, right? Having the right, not just because um, we want the timely, but it's the, the accurate data. And I guess in, in Hong Kong, we also face a problem of uh, the fact that the data is everywhere, right? Which party can provide that kind of golden source of data to the next party so they can provide to, the, to their clients? I think that is always a challenge in Hong Kong, probably not just in Hong Kong alone, but I think in the region. So the magnitude of the problem is not something that we were 
understanding in in terms of the data and which man how how big it been issue is uh, in terms of the the data cleansing and that that is a big trend of in every party uh, down the road right from CSD perspective the custodian to the institutional clients each party is probably playing a very similar role and that all of these costs add up together can be fairly significant in terms of processing the as a servicing. Patrick, I mean, from a from a DTCC perspective, you've obviously, you know, you've gone into a great deal of, of depth in this in terms of the whole ISO 2022 launch and and, and understanding kind of the, the challenges. As the, one of the themes that's coming through is ultimately is that there are obviously, it's a bigger problem than we, we expected, and it's probably many problems across the end-to-end lifecycle. What's your experience from a DTCC perspective in terms of you know, if we broke this into the many challenges of, of getting a corporate action, you know, basically getting it into the system, what, where would you say you, this breaks down into in terms of the workflow challenges and the issues that you found that you're addressing with 2022 in America? Yeah, thanks, Barney. You know, I, I do think that the one thing that's happened, uh, or one of the many things I should say that's happened with the ISO 20022 implementation uh, at TGCC and in the U.S. market is we believe that the better automation has made clear where some of the pain points are um, in the actual supply chain. Um, and, you know, in some cases, certainly they, they do go back to the, the original source, right? There are challenges um, at the issuer level. And, of course, in the U.S. market, you know, issuers are, um, are uh, you know, represented by agents, right? Um, and from a DTCC perspective, you know, what we see is, is within the asset services uh, under that umbrella, there, is, there are many, many touch points with agents, right? Transferations on the, on the, on the physical side um, and certainly, you know, agents sort of at source um, as we bring a, secu- a security into the depository at, uh, within our underwr- underwriting process. So, you know, one of the main things that we're looking to do there is to create an agent portal, um, and this this falls under the the umbrella of our modernization and resiliency um, initiatives that we're going to be uh, you know taking part in over the next several years uh, and into the future, and looking to better source data, um, you know at at the initial inception of of the uh, you know of the security becoming eligible at DTCC. So, you know we certainly think that. Um, how security is classified will help with tax withholding downstream, create efficiencies there. Um, and But we'll also, I think, be able to, as I said, shine a light on uh, maybe where there are breaks in the chain and how we can have transparent conversations with uh, the different uh, the different players in the market, right? Because within the U.S. market, uh, we, we are uh, not fortunate enough to have a vertical model in terms of the, the flow of this information, right? It initiates with an issuer agent, uh, makes its way to DTCC, which then sends it on to its participants, um, custodian banks, brokers, et cetera. It then goes to, you know, asset managers and, and on to the beneficial owner after that, right? So there's a lot of point, a lot of touch points in the chain. And we think that by offering sort of better automation, you'll see transparency in, in where sort of the, the the pain points might lie. And it opens up the opportunity to have those conversations with the entire industry and the different uh, pieces in the chain to improve the entire flow of the information, starting at source and then flowing all the way through. John, from your angle, you know, from an investor perspective, you know, one of the key stats for me that stands out in the survey is that investors are the ones who feel corporate action risk 
kind of doubly more than anyone else. You know, how does this actually end up in their laps, you know, in terms of in terms of the problems? Because, you know, I've had many, many clients in the past who, you know, insist on basically receiving all their corporate actions, as George says, via, you know, via email, via fax, whatever it is. You know, how does the investor, how does, you know, as the, as the ultimate beneficial owner, reconcile the risk and also the operating model that they want into something that's manageable in this space? Yeah, I, I would say on, on that front, I think that the number one thing for them is reputational damage, right? And mm-hmm. so they want to make sure that this is absolutely airtight 100% so that, uh, you know, they don't create an excuse to move to a different service provider that, that could theoretically have a more automated process that would allow them to reduce, you know, sort of the the errors that that could potentially pop up. And one one of the interesting things that I noted is that the automation agenda and the concept of a golden source copy, that, like that combination is definitely, you know, a, a directional way to try and reduce this. And, and the, the interesting thing about the survey was that not all regions are created equal. I, you know, I've definitely seen certain areas and jurisdictions um, progressed in, in addressing this, uh, while others, uh, mainly Canada, where, where I am, um, seems to be, uh, let's just say that they're, they're not quite as far ahead as, as I would have hoped and, and thought. And, and I think about um, some of the things that, that Alan had mentioned with regards to, you know, beneficial ownership and sort of how the data gets sourced. You know, one of the key challenges that I do see here is that the data is, in fact, everywhere. And at the end of the day, you have a lot of um, beneficial owners changing hands on a daily basis based on trading activity. And that data is not in one spot. It, it is fragmented and it is all over the place. And trying to reconcile that on a manual basis is uh, is challenging. And, and, and when you look at even things like uh, an AGM, where AGM season comes into play, um, you know, the, the transfer agents are enormously busy trying to ensure just something as basic as the accuracy of the beneficial ownership structure to ensure that uh, any of the voting actions, for example, are valid. I mean, just something as simple as that um, is a tremendous cost. And and when, when I look at it from an investor standpoint, from an investor confidence point of view, you definitely want to make sure that your rights as a shareholder are there and retained and that your votes and, you know, your dividend payments, for example, um, actually do count. And so from an investor risk standpoint, obviously, I want to make sure that I don't even have to worry about errors or, you know, accuracy perspectives, because as, as far as I'm concerned, from an SLA perspective, that's a service that you would need to provide for me as, as my custodian. Mm. And, uh, you know, the number one thing that I would want to, you know, ensure is that, I don't have reputational da- damage. I'm not prone to any potential regulatory-related fines because some of the processing may be inaccurate. Um, these, these are the things that I would look for to ensure that, you know, for me to stay to stay afloat and to stay in business are, are critical from an investor mm-hmm. point of view. Alan, from your perspective, I mean, how does that how does that reconcile when you've been doing a lot of consultation, you know, speaking with with all parts of the industry? Where have you been finding that the the real drawing and the, the the call for help has come from, if you like? I think in the past, um, 
well, past months, past years, definitely we have been hearing a lot of feedback from the market participants that you know we need to do more as a CSD. We need to do more to help the market to develop the kind of infrastructure um, for for Hong Kong, particularly around as a servicing, right, and corporate actions. Um, and but the question is where where to start, right? Um, a lot of requests. Oh, is this something that? CSD should build kind of a stronger connectivity with um, with our market participants, or is it from the issuers? Um, or what what is it exactly? We have already started some of the analysis, some of the work that we are going to be delivering soon. Uh, so um, to to really alleviate some of the uh, challenge that the market is facing around the uh, timeliness of the information and also the the unstructured. Uh, part of the information uh, so that hopefully the market can get benefit. And Steve, do you find that that kind of that those themes resonate across? I mean, ASA is a gra- you know gathering of obviously many FMIs around the world. Do you find so the structuring and timeliness kind of piece to be consistent themes? I do, Barry. Um, you know, there was a, there was a slide on your on 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 your presentation. I, I think the number was something like forty three percent, for example, of the incoming data is is from unstructured manual sources. I was surprised at that number. You know, look, there's always going to be outliers, for example, markets with with less maturity. But you know, that's the value proposition then of something like a data vendor service to be able to structurally consolidate everything you know, electronically. So we, we know the manual need is there, Barney, but I, I have to be honest, you know, the, the respondents going as high as, you know, mid 40s, 50% for unstructured manual sources was a surprise to me. And Patrick, you know, in the in the context of ISO 2022, and you mentioned, you know, kind of automation shining a light on the pressure points. I mean, where are you finding the biggest areas of improvement as as you push through 2022 and and you know whether that by event type or, or client activity are there specific areas uh, opposites of hotspots I suppose green spots um, where people where there's been a real uptick? Yeah, uh, there's there's a couple of pieces there, right? Um, and I'll, I'll say kind of uh, different different worlds that uh, that uh, that it, that exist within those two different pieces. So. The one that we're seeing right now is, you know, DTCC is, is able to now automate um, voluntary reorg instructions, right? And, and that's, sort, so, so to speak, that's towards the end of the chain, right? So that's after announcement. Um, but b- by being able to do that, we are uh, basically standing up a model that allows the entirety of the process to flow directly through in the same format. So you receive your announcement in ISO 20022, and you're able to instruct into DTC on an automated basis in ISO 20022. You'll then get your projected payments in that same format, and then of course on to uh, allocation. And of course, that's very similar with to, to what has happened um, with 15022. But with 20022, we're seeing the ability to add more elements. So one example of that would be additional beneficial owner um, categories, right? So in 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 the current world, DTC. You know, it, uh, we have clients that are having to instruct manually and enter different instructions for each beneficial owner um, category. And that really is uh, labor intensive, right? And now we know that we can essentially include those in, in one and detail that out uh, within that message and, and really save a lot of time uh, and, and effort and risk um, with, with, the, with the entry piece, right? So, we're seeing essentially with 2022 the round out of the entire process there. Um, 
And then secondly, as I mentioned, um, you know, I, I thought there was a, a very interesting comment. I think it was by Alan that just said that we need to do more as a CSD. And the question is, you know, where to start, right? And I, I think DTCC is faced with, with the same question. And, you know, we, we are looking because, um, Barney, we have spent so much time looking outward with, with ISO 20022 in the corporate action space and really offering so many benefits to, to, to the U.S. market uh, with the standardization and, and real-time messaging. Um, we're now looking a little bit more internally by um, building, you know, modernized distributed systems um, that are flexible, which will allow for really detailed conversations and how to improve the flow of information in the market. And so really what I'm saying there is by, by building new modernized systems, we can look at the process sort of not as it was, but as it's going to be and looking to the future and have industry conversations across the market, right? Not just with our, um, our, our clients, so to speak, which, which are the participant, you know, custodian banks and brokers, but really with the agent side, with the issuer side and start engaging the whole market. We think we're going to get, uh, a, a lot of really positive, um, sort of, uh, uh you know, um, transparency there, um, to understand again, as I said earlier, where the pain points are and try to tackle those as an industry and, and having a more flexible system within the, you know, USCSD, we think can really improve the process, um, you know, across all of asset servicing, not just with corporate actions. It's great that CSDs are acting and hopefully this, this conversation can be a kind of a shout out to all the CSDs that want to take action. But what about the, the broker, the custodian, the, the, the fund manager that's sitting there thinking, okay, fine, I just don't want to wait for my CSD to get into action. What kind of action are we and, and steps are we seeing across the market there in terms of more tactical opportunities? Pat, so we, we recently had some um, insight, for example, by the M6 group to a solution in Switzerland. Um, this is non-regulatory, I think, which is which is a very key point because, you know, seismic change, there's often an idea that it kind of needs to be sort of, you know, stamped on by the regulators or action by the, the regulators rather because, you know, um, th that, that drive, if you like, needs to come from, from somewhere. But what we saw in Switzerland, I mean, that's been very positively received by the participants in that market. It, it had a complete take up by the issuers and it was about getting their um, announcements into like a, a market-wide gold copy system. And then if you look at your respondent survey, there was a slide for automation by region. And actually, Switzerland is one from the top of that, of the very top of that pile. And also highly placed, Barney, was um, Singapore. And that was also very healthy in excess of 80% automation, I think. Now, they, they had a very similar scheme running some time back, if I'm not mistaken. So, yes, respondents are reporting very favorably that, that automation is, is strong in, in, in these markets. So it would seem to me that this gold cop this issue to investor, digitization of source, whatever you want to call it, that certainly has the potential to make a significant step change, you know, where it can be in, in introduced. It's something that ISSA are, you know, very interested in, very keen on, and uh, yeah, something that we're looking to promote. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think what, what's fantastic is that versus 20 years ago, we are seeing, um, to your point, uh, we're now able to point to cases where it's actually happened and we can say, no, no, it was worth it because, you know, um, to the points that, that um, Patrick's made, to the points that you made, you know, there, are, there is now a business case for CSD change that is proven and demonstrable. 
Um, but George, in, you know, going to this this idea of the the lowly custodian or the lowly broker sitting out there, basically in a, in a country where you know the, the CSD may be a little bit more reticent. This idea of of, of kind of the, the you know the, the community of, of solutions that's grown up. You know, John mentions robotics and things. What are the tactical? What's the tactical roadmap look like? And where are you seeing people take up other other platforms along the way? So, look, I, I think certainly listening to uh, colleagues on this podcast, um, I think we're doing a great job looking in the mirror, um, and we are looking at ways in which we can do things uh, faster and better. But, you know, and we, the orientation predominantly has been around platform improvements, you know, how can we do APIs, you know, use of 20022 uh, messaging standards. Um, I think the, 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 the focus, and I think John uh, eloquently put it uh, to, uh, to those listening to the podcast, is that there are needs to also look at our processes, right? And it's great to hear that uh, what's, what Steve was saying in Switzerland, where there is recognition by the issuer community, that it is in their interest to ensure that an orderly market, and I, I use those terms uh, deliberately, uh, because they are terms that regulators often latch onto. To produce an orderly market, there is a need for broadcast of notifications um, you know, consistent and to the same quality of data, right? And I think that that has to be um, probably implicit, if not explicitly stated. So, but I think when it comes to your question, as it, when it comes to CSDs, um, I think we, do, we, we have CSDs, global custodians, direct custodians, all having very much an identity crisis, okay? You know, am, I, am I there to safe keep the asset, okay? Or am I there to provide additional services which clients pay for uh, through an assets under custody charge? I think the the recognition is if we are able to get the issuer community to a point where they recognise their place, and you know, I would certainly implore the the listing authorities to state as part of the listing rules the behaviours of those organisations in the market. Okay, uh, naturally, you know, there, there, there'll probably be conversations at the end end of that and how that impacts, you know, the earnings per share when it comes to dividend season because it's an additional expense. Right, I, I, I get that, but I think as as soon as you start to try to really identify the roles and responsibility of all the market participants, I think that's the point where there is effectively the the the, the true call to arms. At the moment, I think it's all very fuzzy um, and that, you know, we've got institutions trying to play their part in a way that best serves the market, best serves the clients. And, and of course, what that's doing is introducing risk and cost because, you know, at the end of the day, what expense do you put against delighting a client, right? That, that I think, is always the, the, the difficult uh, discussion to be, to be had. Mm, yeah. So in that context... Um, SRD three. Now, before anyone jumps in, that's the, there isn't one yet. But uh, you know, just uh, for me, that the, the SRD two has many. Obviously, it's had many challenges, but ultimately, it's had many positives in terms of forcing that kind of thinking, George. In terms of, you know, what am I here for? And, and basically, putting, you know, back Patrick to your point, putting the 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 issuers and uh, the intermediaries and the investors around the table for the first time. 
Do you find that it's had an impact on your conversations? Yeah, I, I think um, definitely for the past year, we have been, um, I guess, SRD2 has raised the kind of awareness for um, market participants, for us, and for every party involved in the in the kind of um, support chain on on the European securities, right? To really look into our support model, whether or not it's uh, timely, complete, accurate, and all that perspective, um, it's almost like a wake-up call, right? We, we need to do something. We need to ensure that we comply. What's great about this conversation is that you've got some wonderful sound bites. You've got CSDs basically saying, okay, we hear that we need to do more. Um, you know, you know, we've got custodian, we've got a, a question of the identity crisis around custodians and brokers, around really people addressing what they're here for. And, and on the investor side, you've got this need to manage reputational risk above all. And, and across all of that, you've got new dynamics like SRD2 raising awareness and hopefully this study as well, raising awareness of, of, of the problem and, and helping us to look in the mirror. So if you draw all that together, um, you know, if you're sitting here listening and thinking, right, this is all great. What does the next 12 months look like for me? Um, maybe we can just go around and, and, and kind of map out basically where this all of these inputs actually how they play out. Um, so perhaps maybe starting starting at uh, at a global level with ISSA, how do you see the next 12, 18 months looking from a practitioner's perspective? I think Barney, it's um, it's change, and and for the motives and the drivers that um, you know this this group has been talking about, um, we saw on your on the last slide on your survey actually there was a large percentage of respondents across you know the different business types. They they are reporting transformation type pro uh, projects. I think it was well over fifty percent um, in each sector, and those projects included technology platforms. Now you know this absolutely lines up you know with our experiences. We hear from organisations across the sectors you know that are facing these challenges here and now and again as, as, as this team have said today the problem is exacerbating that the volumes are going one way the complexity is going one way so more and more people are needing to look at upgrading their technology um you know so these evidences more and more organizations that they're, they're just not going to accept these data challenges that it is the new norm it's not the, the, the new norm they're not going to accept sla breaches they're not going to um, accept reputational damage and i think barney and team that there, there is appetite to do something about it i think the the, the number one thing you know over the next 12 to 18 months and, and i think you've mentioned it earlier is just the awareness um I think this survey is going to bring a, a lot of light and actually bring some quantifiable metrics to sort of the magnitude of the problem. And, uh, you know, I, I think as, as Patrick did mention, when, when you start looking at some of these um, remediation activities and transformation activities, um, upgrades to existing infrastructure and so on, um, these are going to be inputs that can dive into sort of the business case on why you need to start looking at incorporating how to address some of these problems as part of that solution stack. I think the, the number one thing that's happened probably over the last 30 years is this is kind of the, uh, the unknown. Everyone knows it's an issue, but it has never gotten the, uh, the attention and focus and priority to actually go and address. And, you know, I, I think, um, I think we're, we're bang on that, you know, the problem is just going to continue to exacerbate. And, and I think, you know, what we're starting to see here, especially with the proliferation of, of trading activity, um, it's getting bigger. And so I think 
the the hidden costs that have been uncovered as as part of this survey is is now non-hidden. And I think the next steps over the last little bit is, okay, now that you have the metrics, how can you actually strengthen your business case to incorporate how to find a solution, you know, leveraging some of the technology that, 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 uh, that's out there. And I think there is, and I, and I think, you know, the solution partners, um, as well as some of the emergent technologies um, are, are going to be, you know, tools to actually see how you can actually um, craft something together. And, and I think this is one big step in articulating just the size and magnitude of the issue. Um, whereas before it was just this opaque problem that was kind of in the back of everyone's minds. And so I, I think this will bring it to the forefront. Yeah, I, I like what John said um, <clears throat> right there regarding maintaining awareness. I, I think that's always key, right? Um, and that that really is going to overlap with, you know, the the process that we're going through right now within all of asset services to reimagine our systems uh, at DTCC. And, you know, that's, again, as I mentioned earlier, that's with our underwriting system, which is how a security becomes eligible at the depository, um, really, in, in, it, you know, improving, hopefully, uh, you know, master file data up front, which we all know will flow through the corporate actions process and, and tax withholding, et cetera, right? And, and really, uh, you know, focusing on that at source. Um, creating flexible platforms is, is part of that reimagination. Again, instead of being reactive to regulations, new technologies, and, and whatever, I'll call it disruptions that are out there, and that maybe that's not a fair word, but, um, you know, any, any new <clears throat> um, asset types that come into the market, right? Again, instead of attempting to sort of, I'll say, put band-aids on older systems, creating flexible systems that, that can handle um, the type of turmoil that we see uh, in the industry and, and the type of, you know, um, you know regulatory uh, scrutiny that, that, we're, that we're always under and, and um, you know, really a dynamic market that, that is always evolving and is evolving faster and faster as with each coming year. And sort of lastly, just to reiterate, you know, um, this sort of transparency as, as we look to reimagine our systems, um, leading to direct and actionable industry discussions, right, Barney? And, and, you know, that's sort of what we're doing here today, which is great. Um, and, and maybe even getting more detailed because as, you know, DTCC is looking at the entire process, again, looking, um, potentially to do more, whether it's, um, you know, processing different asset classes or event types. Uh, or, uh, or, or really just, um, you know, trying to provide the technology to, to get to different segments of the market, like with, with agents and issuers. You know, we really believe that uh, by us as a CFD leading the way and reimagining our systems, we can have really, as I said, you know, actionable discussions with the entire industry and, um, and start to really sort of make some headway here. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that I think is, I'm guessing, Alan, from your perspective, is a very consistent thing. In uh, yes, absolutely. I think that that is the kind of consistent message uh, and kind of action for us in Hong Kong as well. Um, and I'm very excited to to introduce our our new project that will be completed this year. It's called Corporate Action Message Standardization Camps. Um, so it's going to cover um, the... The, the issue that we were talking about, the timeliness, the, the kind of structured uh, information that, that, that we require. And when, when we talk about where do we get started with 
fixing the issue, uh, we decided at the end is we, we wanted to start from the issuer, right? Because all the information starts from the end. Uh, kind of make, makes sense to us that issuer would be the one that who need to provide this kind of timely, structured, standardized information to the market, right? I think that that is the first step and that will be rolled out um, this year. Um, so I think we are quite excited about that. Um, afterward, I think we, we have more to do. Um, we cannot, I guess, commit on a timeline yet, but we definitely actively engaging uh, our participants and actively looking into how CSD, how 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 HVEX uh, can connect better with um, with the market participants on corporate actions information, right, directly from the you know, on the CSD level, not just on the issuer level, um, we are still using very conventional inf- infrastructure. As you can imagine, a lot of our infrastructure were built 20 years ago, right? Very stable, but in terms of the connectivity perspective, it's probably not as up-to-date as we would like. So things like basic stuff like Swift, um, um, API, uh, blockchain, I think those are the kind of technology we are looking into um, to kind of enhance our connectivity uh, in the upcoming uh, years ahead, so that that is in the pipeline, and I think that will be the kind of focus for us in the um, next eighteen months. We're saying, brilliant, thank you. I mean, what's fantastic is there's such a great strength, a sense of intolerance to what we're doing now, but you know, ultimately, such a great sense of transformation going on from everything that you mentioned. So, George, I guess rounding out from your perspective, if you were sitting in your old seat in JP Morgan or sitting in your seat now, all of this is happening around you. What does that mean for ultimately for the for the average average person sitting there, um, spending thirty percent of their time and resource cleaning data, enriching it, all this kind of stuff? I mean, do you are you, are you excited? Do you feel that there's a big is is the so what factor being addressed? Do you think over the next eighteen months? So I think I think it's really for organisations to establish what equilibrium they have between people, platform, and process. At the end of the day, um, they are there to serve their underlying clients, and having uh, a, having a mechanism w- which reacts to the challenges and the business outcomes they're looking for is important. And if it means putting an army of people on it as a temporary gesture to respond to, for example, a corporate action on a cryptocurrency, because I think those new asset classes are coming. Those new asset classes, I think, may also bypass ICSDs and bypass CSDs. They're going to be DLT-driven. You're going to have direct connection between the issuer and the underlying holder. You know, it, be comfortable with that. I think the, the question is, probably the better question is how long you should be comfortable with that. And I think as time goes on and orientation and understanding what the market is doing, then you may be able to shift the equilibrium between people and platform, okay, or shift the equilibrium between platform and process. So, Barney, it it is a very exciting time for, you know, a a number of aspects. You know, there's the technology um, the technology gradient and what, what's going on in the industry is, you know, virtually one-on-one. You know, if, every day you see new technologies being introduced. Be mindful of backing the right horse is what I would often say to people. I think it's understanding what will become established and working out what's de rigueur versus what's vogue. Um, I think that's very important. 
But, you know, it also comes down to the risk appetite. Each organisation should have a, a, an acuity on their risk appetite, what they're prepared to accept or not accept. And that will help that discussion between the, uh, as I say, the, the equilibrium between people, platform and process. So there we go. That's, that's a great, great way to round out, ultimately, that we've got many inputs into that uh, people, platform, process kind of equilibrium. And hopefully, you know, that we can make a, a meaningful shift. All the work that's going on can make a meaningful shift in that equilibrium such that we're not having the same conversation in 30 years. It, it certainly feels like there's enough new technology, new solutions, new conversations to be able to make a meaningful impact. So thank you all very, very much for sharing um, such such rich and, and, and completely diverse insights. So thank you all very much for your time. And uh, for anyone that's listening that wants to download the key findings, go to the vx.io uh, and have a look at uh, have a look at all the information we've got there. So thank you uh, to uh, George, to John, to Steve, to Patrick, to Alan. Um, and uh, have a very good afternoon.